Dr. Dobbin and Kevin Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Studio making his fortnightly appearance in the program. His fortnightly appearance is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest on this edition of the program. As he does every two weeks, Eric Longenhagen endeavors here to analyze all prospects. Of particular note, the World Series is occurring. The World Series is currently occurring. And what Eric Longenhagen does in part is to review some of the unique trajectories from amateur to minor leaguer to major leaguer of uh, some of the players who are participating in that World Series. Is Chris Devensky one of them? He is, I think. I think he is. Justin Turner? Maybe not. The pod will reveal all. Also, we update some mental player profiles. For example, Michael Taylor of the Washington Nationals has for some time been a glove-first center fielder with intriguing but raw offensive skills. Did you know this year that he recorded a league average batting line and produced three wins? That's not something uh, that I necessarily knew, uh, nor did Eric Longenhagen necessarily know that. We consider some other players in that same way. And finally, I subject Eric Longenhagen to an elaborate analogy. I send him an image of my infant son and explain to him that I regard this boy to be of above average handsomeness. But I ask at the same time if perhaps that is simply because I shared genetic material with the boy. It's a laborious way of asking if Eric Longenhagen possesses any similar biases for players. If there are players who possess a certain spark, a type of magic that resonates with him and which might not with other folks. Uh, Monte Harrison is one player uh, whom Longenhagen invokes at some length. That is Brewer's outfield prospect, Monte Harrison. We discuss him at some length. Uh, okay, this is enough by way of introduction, so let us move on to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analysts of Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. I'm sending you. All right. Okay. <clears throat> and I'm curious about here. I have a question about this image I've just sent you. All right. Mm-hmm. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> this is an image of my son, aged roughly 12 weeks. Okay. Yeah. And what I'm what I'm curious to know is, do you think that this is an abnormally handsome child? Would you regard this as an abnormally as a curiously handsome child? Uh, I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot of context for that sort of thing. It looks like your baby is smiling, mm-hmm. which is probably good. Yep. But also looks, you know, like a human baby. And human babies are just the, in my opinion, most uh, unattractive of all the mammal babies. Well, that's yeah. Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, and 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 so you're what you're doing now is confirming something for me because. Do you understand, Eric? I do not regard other people's children as attractive, right. as appealing at all. Um, they're not appealing to me. But when I look at this specimen here, okay, I think this is an unusually handsome child. Do you right? think that that's just because you there's ha- it has half of your genes? He has half of your genes, and you're it's that's just you know. Yeah, I think it's part of it, and I think that it's probably. Oh, there's some overlap too. It's just like I spend a lot of time with him. Do you understand? Like I am his caretaker. Yeah, you're his. So dad. when he, so the thing is, when he looks like this, you see in this image, he is smiling, right? Mm-hmm. When he looks like that, he's not crying. He's not making my life worse. Oh, okay. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So you and maybe you're you know, subject to some sort of condition, like classical conditioning. Yeah, there's yeah, there's some conditioning going on because. Yeah. I feel relief when he looks like this. Also, do you notice how – do you see what's in his hand there? It looks like crackers. It's a, this, In fact, it's a small small packet of oyster crackers. Okay. Uh, this is his favorite toy. But you'll notice what he's doing is he's holding the oyster crackers. Mm-hmm. That's something he's done for less than a week. Before, he couldn't hold anything in his hand. And now he, can, now he can hold crackers in his hand. Well, maybe Eno will write a post about it. Eno? Yeah. About how he grips the crackers. Uh, (laughs) I don't think he's prepared for the big leagues quite yet by that. But this, this, uh, so 
I was. I mean, uh, I'm happy that your your baby is developing and you know motor skills and yeah. uh, that it he's becoming less burdensome as he. You don't find him refulgent though. You don't look at him and and sort of it's as though you're you're um, encountering a, just a a bright warm light of energy. No. Washing over you. No, I'm sorry. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm glad. I'm glad that. But here's what I was going to ask you. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I don't dislike the baby. No, I'm, I'm not, not anti-baby, you. and I don't think like it's gross to have kids. Uh, you know, even I'm not. A, I'm not worried about that, Eric. I'm not worried about that. You've had, I just don't want to yeah. offend you or anybody else that like has kids. You don't like, have it's to okay offend me. That you have kids. I okay. I just don't want it. Like one. <laughs> no, that's great. But I was curious. So this is, is a little test I was doing. I was curious. And okay. um, so what we've – I think what we've established here is that uh, for me, it's it's probably difficult for me to view this child objectively. True? Ha- sure. Yeah. So I guess uh, you could, could then make the argument that Monty Harrison is my child. <laughs> okay. So that's exactly what I wanted to get to. All right. I wanted yeah. to get to – the, that area in which maybe it's impossible to view prospects objectively, situations where it's impossible to view them objectively, you appear to okay. have stumbled onto one. Um, and, I, and and listen, I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm not going to suggest that you know your list, etc., are replete with flaws, and because if you're aware of your own biases, then that's that's probably fine, you know. Right. But. but I think that uh, it's an interesting conversation to to mine to mine. And, and by the way, I have some other plans for questions to ask you later on. But this was I thought this sure. just made sense to start here. But so, Monty, do you think that Monty Harrison is kind of right now? He's the closest thing you have to. <laughs> it's not. <sighs> it's not a son, but it's that sort of. Um, there, there's something about him, about his profile, about his skills slash tools. That for whatever reason resonates with something something uh, profound inside of you. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I have an affinity for prospects who do things that I've never seen before. Probably like probably on, a, place on to a start. physical on a physical level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. And yes, so this is the thing I've thought about, right? Uh, and like all the different layers to evaluating prospects, there's there's a lot of human uh, decision making, and like at at every point, because I'm a person, and so mistake prone, and I'm talking to scouts about players, and they're also people, and so they're also flawed and make mistakes and are wrong. And we're discussing players who are people and uh, who make mistakes during the course of their career that probably impact it, especially because most of them are very young. And so, like, there are just a lot of places where human error comes into play during this process. And so, like, my biases are part of that. And I just like players like Monty Harrison who have what seems like boundless physical capability. Yeah. If you see Monty Harrison at like the lowest levels of the minor leagues, as I have for the last several years. Wait, can I interject? Monty Harrison is a second round pick from 2014 out of Missouri, out of a Missouri high school. He belongs, well, belongs is a strong word. He is a member of uh, the Milwaukee Brewers organization. And I suppose he belongs to them in the baseball sense. Uh, This is what I have to say about Monty Harrison. Right, and he's uh, early in his professional career dealt with poor performance and injury, and despite that, was clearly uh, in sort of a class of elite physical talent. Speed, power, arm strength, like all of that stuff, and has done stuff that I've never seen any baseball player at any level do. Starting when? Uh, when, do, when? Do you remember the do you remember the first time you observed him? Yeah, in the Arizona Rookie League in 2014, shortly after I moved okay. here. Um, and 
I think this is part of the reason that some of the prospects that like the scouting community quote unquote misses on and you when I say that, you know, depending on the team you root for, like there are probably guys who come to mind. Um is that we're just drawn to physical exceptionalism. Uh whereas that's and those guys aren't always necessarily good at baseball. And so when you're evaluating hundreds and hundreds of players, I think guys like Monty Harrison, their their skills jump out at you, even though their performance doesn't. Uh, and the guys who maybe kind of have vanilla tools but are exceptional at baseball in ways that make them good at it but aren't as blatantly obvious to your eye. Like, I think that's how guys like that slip under the radar, specifically because... Uh, like you're taught to look for for guys like Monty Harrison because, you know, Mike Trout is not without f- incredible physical tools. Like if you look across the top of baseball, it's it's not, it's mostly not guys who are like bland, boring. It's guys with exceptional physical ability. Mm-hmm. And so like that's what you're taught to to dig up. Uh, and so I think that's how your uh, relatively generic, uh, you know, like you're. Your typical, the stereotypical Cardinals prospects who outperform their, their expectations. Like that's how those guys kind of fly under the radar. Uh, and so like you either have to, you have to find other ways to unearth those guys or re- realize that those guys are staring you in the face to some degree. I wonder who is but the, yeah, so the, as far as, as far as my personal biases go, uh, and like what it does, like do I don't necessarily have unconditional love for Monty Harrison, mm-hmm. uh, but um, but it there is something about that type of player that enamors me more than than others, and like I think at least I, I think as long as I'm aware of it, that I won't uh, do anything too terribly dumb when it comes to evaluating him compared to others. You assessed to Monty Harrison before the season, so I'm sure. This is, it's very possible this has changed. Uh, before the 2017 campaign, you ranked him 16th in the Brewer system, a, a pretty deep um, Brewer system. Uh, and, but you mm-hmm. gave him a 40th fee, which suggests that what that's like a bench player. Although I would assume, and I, I haven't read um, your analysis of him recently, but my guess is you would have also added a larger uh, margin of error for Monte Harrison than for other players. Right, yeah. 40, the 40 FV was was really uh, diluted mostly because he had been hurt and just hadn't performed. Right, and it seems like uh, by the way you're describing him, this has to be true of players with low, whose hit tool is the most precarious tool, right? Is that because is, is the highs... Could be much higher, and the lows could be. I mean, the low could be zero. The low could be nothing. Ever. Right. Yeah. And that that's. I mean, that's. And we've even seen that unfold with Byron Buxton, right? Where if Byron Buxton's like you, he's obviously a physical specimen and can do a lot of baseball things too. Mm-hmm. But if he if he's not hitting at all, I don't know. Maybe Bubba Starling's a better example, just because. Byron Buxton is so great at everything. Maybe Bubba Starling is the other example. Right, yeah. I, I think – and, you know, it's it's not just a binary thing. There are guys who hit just enough even though they don't hit mm-hmm. a lot that they're still uh, providing major league value in some way. And that's where, that's where I'm still trying to figure out, you know – like I'm still trying to learn in that, in that realm about how much is enough, how much – uh, besides the hit tool, does the prospect have going for him? And is it enough to make up for a lack of one? Like those are, it's, and we've talked about this before, like putting players into buckets. Like you have your center fielders who like Buxton, uh, and like Michael A. Taylor with, with Washington, where it's like, this guy has power. He's got raw power. He plays a good center field. But swings and misses a lot. Jock Peterson maybe, you know, sort of falls into that category. And so that's like an archetype of player. But not all of those guys succeed. 
like Greg Golson didn't succeed. He was that kind oh, of yeah. player. Uh, so Corey Patterson. Th- what? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so like, what separates the guys that do from the ones that don't? On like a performance level, is there something that we can see statistically or even visually that is an indicator that oh, this guy either does enough of the other stuff that it doesn't matter that he won't hit, or he crests some uh, baseline offensively that allows him to still be a big league regular even though the bat to ball isn't good. Like that's the sort of realm that I'm kind of living in now as uh, an evaluator. Like I'm in pursuit of that type of knowledge and understanding and I'm I'm not quite there yet. Alright, so you gave me Monte Harrison. Can you could you do just a I don't know, two or four others? We would like to have three or five. A list of three or five players who for whom you, for whom, it's not that you necessarily are unable to view them objectively, but right. it's that, like as as we knew we did this already. As I, as I look at my son, I'm unable to, at the very least, I'm unable to see him the way other people see see him. Mm-hmm. You, of course, you mentioned Monte Harrison, Brewers prospect. Mm-hmm. What's he got? Yeah, I think – so it would be – it's it, it's always up the middle players uh, as far as position players go. I like the second baseman who hits for – like hits for power. <laughs> I Like I know like none of this is going to sound uh, strange or like off the rails or anything like that. It's not – of course, everyone likes second baseman who hit for mm-hmm. power and stuff. But, like, I like – specifically, I like guys who, like, take h- huge monster mm-hmm. hacks, <laughs> like, who swing out of their ass. Um, don't the, don't, doesn't Atlanta kind of have a second why baseman? Like, Bo Bichette is an amateur. Doesn't Atlanta have a second baseman? Yeah, like, Travis, Travis Demerit. Demerit. right. Yeah. Um, and, like, Isan Diaz. Who – Another Milwaukee so, prospect. Right. So Travis Demerit was he was traded what from Seattle to Atlanta at some point? Does that sound right? Shed Long. Oh Shedrick 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 Long is part of the Reds organization. Yeah. And he wasn't he also a catcher? Hasn't he also been a catching prospect at points? Right, yeah. He was a converted catcher who's now at okay. second base. Yeah. Uh, and so Shed Long is part of this. Mm-hmm. This group, and then I think we, you, you mentioned one other, Isan Diaz, who I believe was sent what from Arizona to Milwaukee in yep. some manner of trade. Trade. Why am I forgetting which yeah. trade that was? Who did Milwaukee send there? That was a Dave Stewart trade. How about? I'm forgetting. I'm sure it's like Chase Anderson oh, yeah. was involved. Yeah, of course. But who's mm-hmm. the, who was the big guy? Gene Segura. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yep. yep. Uh, so, yeah, like that type of player, the, the middle infielder who uh, really lets it rip is my kind of guy. And then I like the center fielders who have um, – who mm-hmm. run well and have good feel to hit and project – like projection on the body. So, like, uh, Miguel Aparicio in the Rangers system mm-hmm. is someone like that. Uh, I think Christian Pache in the Brave system is somebody like that. Uh, there's, um, the Brewers, back to the Brewers again. Uh, the Brewers have a, a young center fielder named Carlos Rodriguez, who I saw this fall for the first time, who's still a little bit undersized to have, like, to swing the bat with authority, but he definitely has good baseball instincts and terrific range in center field. Uh, so, like, those are my types of guys. And, like, every – I'm pretty sure every scout likes speedy center fielders with uh, a good frame who have, like, field to hit. Like, that's not a, a – that's not right. just a mean But, no, thing. but you've selected a couple uh, of criteria um, which when a player – uh, meets all meets you know in this case what that's just like three, three criteria. Yeah, I think you said, like, good, good speed, 
um, physical mm-hmm. projection and in a field to hit. I don't. You didn't necessarily say he's performing to hit, right? But like he exhibits some sort of, you know, some sort of what to control of the barrel or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd say that you could look. You could probably look up and down the Rangers farm system and get a good idea of. Uh, what, like, if I were putting together a farm system, like, what the athletes would look like. That's your, that's sort of your template. That's just, they seem to, uh, draft and sign Latin American talent that I also am drawn to more than, more than others. I have two questions for you. One of them is this. I don't know if you noticed, but when I, um, when I record these programs, um, using a program called Cast, uh, I am forced to title it. I usually what I do is I put in the name of the guest, and then also the date. And I don't know if you know this, but um, when you are the guest, I put in either Longin Butt or Longin Buns. Yep. Do you notice that? Yeah, I have noticed that. And I was wondering if you feel if that makes you feel uncomfortable. No. Okay. I also don't you edit my you stuff. Do you think that that? Come on. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure that doesn't make you no. feel comfortable if I put in Longin Butt or alternatively, Eric, Longin Buns. No. Okay, good. Glad we've established that. All right. The other question is this. Oh, yes. With regard to Michael Taylor of the Washington Nationals, mm-hmm. uh, this is a player who I think we could – I think we could describe him as possessing prodigious, uh, prodigious defensive talent in center field. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I was not, what I did not realize is that he he produced three wins this this season, um, in only a little over four hundred plate appearances. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that because I knew that despite the fact that he was, uh, that he possessed prodigious, prodigious outfield defensive skills, that as you noted, he possess, he also possessed some swing and miss in his offensive game. Oh yeah. Uh, as evidenced in this case by the roughly 32% strikeout rate he's recorded as a professional, or as a sorry, as a major leaguer in over 1,200 plate appearances. Uh, what I did not know is that he had also recorded a slightly above average offensive line this year. That's the most surprising thing. Uh, to the point again, which I say he recorded just over three wins in what amounted to, say, three-quarter playing time, something like that, two-thirds, three-quarters playing time. I did not that very know good that he season. was a three-win guy this year. Yes. Okay, so you are uh, you are experiencing the same you're, – you're part of this, this epiphany, right? Yeah. And what I realized I need to do – and I do this with Dave Cameron. I've done it with a – I've done it with, with Dave Cameron in a more um, – uh, ad hoc sort of way, but what I'm realizing is this is something that I need to do more frequently, and that is update a player a player file in my head, right? Mm. A, a mental player file, because the what I, I I mean now, Michael Taylor, it appears as though some you know some of his offensive performance was due to um, a higher than is typically sustainable batting average in balls in play, so perhaps. His his player file does not need a great deal of editing. However, he did he was worth over three wins in as I say in a somewhat part time role. So I am now currently I am updating my my player file on Michael Taylor, something that hadn't been adjusted you know since probably before the twenty seventeen season. As I'm looking, someone, I'm looking at his spray chart because when I scouted Taylor in the national system, he was uh, a natural opposite field hitter in the air, like sort of in the way that Delman Young used to be, like where he just had his swing path just had natural lift to right center field. Um, and I'm looking at a spray chart from this year, and he's just pull, he's pulling the ball more. So I wonder if there was an adjustment made there. It's strange well, to think that you'd – like that might just be one of those old school scouting things that you kind of need to – maybe not scrap, but – at least look at with some context now. Yeah. It's like, hey, maybe natural opposite field hitting ability is not necessarily like as uh, effective a trait as we once thought it was. Or 
perhaps or at it's, least it's, okay is, that is a sign that a guy might have some offensive development in his future. Yeah. Right? If he gets to the major leagues and he's working with a hitting coach or he's, you know, he's in the organization along the way and there's a, an effort, you know, an effort to which the uh, to which the player agrees mm-hmm. to give, you know, to help him pull the ball a little bit more, perhaps giving him some more power on contact. Um, not to say that would be the inevitable result, but it, it sometimes is. And uh, maybe you could say, huh, he's he's performing decently in the minor leagues with this particular type of swing. Imagine if, you know, we, we have to uh, factor into the overall assessment of this player the possibility that he could develop some pull power in the future. That seems like a thing. Sure, I agree. Okay. Good, I'm glad we've established that. Plus, he plays, and maybe this is... Uh, this is an example of of um, my experience having read um, Trav- almost every one of Travis Sochik's posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's perhaps – we know that he's on the same team as uh, Daniel Murphy. Maybe he uh, – maybe he's he's been tutored by Daniel Murphy. Maybe. I mean if you, if you have every skill except – Except your offensive game, you're like your your batting game is weak, and Daniel Murphy's on your team. It seems makes sense that you talk to him, right? Yeah, I think that that occurs more. That sort of thing where like player to player mentoring, even at the big league level, occurs more often than than we think it does. Yeah, well, I believe Chris Taylor. I believe he's uh, on record as saying that uh, Justin Turner is responsible for uh, some some amount of his uh, of his uh, offensive renaissance. I, so, I believe that. I haven't looked at old Chris Taylor film to see if he's made any changes, but I know that Justin Turner is one of those. Uh, he's a proselytizer. Yeah, and and one of the guys who has uh, like added that leg kick, that Jose Bautista leg kick throughout. You know, that's part of what coincided with his breakout. Yeah. Do you know that Chris Taylor was worth nearly five wins this year? <laughs> Did you yeah, know that? I knew he was having a good year. I didn't know that it was like a five war year. Yeah, it was a five-win year, and uh, this actually, this that um, well, 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 I mean, Chris Taylor is probably a player whose player file it's necessary to update, right? I assume this happens also at the prospect level, though, too, right? I mean, are, can you think of any any cases recently when you've been forced to do that? Now, obviously, when you're doing the list, yes. You, yeah. So okay, hey, it, I, allow me to create the context. Fine. <laughs> obviously, when you're doing the list. To some degree, you're updating your playoff power for everybody, but you're not necessarily you're not necessarily recalibrating like your like the entire way you feel about a player. And I know that, like you said that about Bo Bichette at some point, you had to do that. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe you haven't done it fully. But so so you seem to have an idea in mind. Please continue. Sure, I apologize for cutting you off. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is one of the things that now I'm experiencing for the first time with this job is that it's time to do the offseason list again, right? And so now it's time to you got to evaluate everybody again. And previously for me it was just like I had an opinion about a player and some of them were public and some of them were not. Uh and I just had it and then I was either right or wrong and didn't really have any reason to change my opinion. Uh, like, you know, if you see players over the years, you, you can, you change your opinions about them and stuff, but at some point you make your initial call and you're either right or wrong with that initial call and a higher percentage of my writing and just the thoughts about players that existed in my head were just initial calls that were either right or wrong. There wasn't, uh, as much reevaluating as I'm gonna have to do now as I do the, the team lists for the second year where I'll literally be asked to reevaluate everyone. Uh, and so like going through that and how much I deviate from my initial thoughts is like something that I haven't quite, uh, like grasped yet. Like I haven't felt what that feels like to do. Uh, and I don't really have a great idea of how much changing is appropriate to do. I'm sure there are guys who, you know, maybe it's, maybe it is like Bo Bichette or, um, like a guy I'm about to talk about now, like Andrew, uh, Nisner, a catcher in the Cardinals system. Whoa, 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 whoa. Andrew? Silent K. Okay. Um, who 
Nisner I've seen here in Fall League, and it's just like, hmm. Uh, but, like, uh, some of these guys I'll, I'll change my opinions about, and some of them I won't. Like Corey Ray, I'm holding firm on which Corey Ray, Corey Ray, the Brewers outfielder. Okay, um, you're holding firm in that you believe. I still, the, I'm still the, in on Corey Ray. Right, the virtues he exhibited as an amateur, as a, one of the better players in the what the ACC is that? What yeah, is Louisville. Louisville. ACC? Yeah, yeah, ACC. <clears throat> the the, the uh, in that what what uh, made him a first round pick? You believe that uh, those are still. Uh, the virtues, the virtues mm-hmm. he possesses, and which will ha- allow him to materialize as a major league player. I'm sure there will be some players who I change my opinion about this off season, who I'll be burnt for doing so, because this year will have been an anomaly in some way, or you know I'll just be wrong. Uh, so like interacting with that part of this job just isn't a thing I've done yet. So, but but yeah, so let's talk about Ray and Nisner. Okay. Um, now, actually, they were teammates at Louisville. Nisner? No, Nisner was... Uh, no, NC State, sorry. NC State, right. yeah. Okay. Uh, which is where I first saw him. He was an underclassman on that Wolfpack team that had Carlos Rodon and Trey Turner uh, and the Peterson kids who transferred from Temple, uh, Brett Austin, who uh, was a high pick out of high school but still went to college. And Nisner played third base when I saw him there. Uh, because Austin was catching, and so I didn't. Li- I did not like him at third base. Uh, I thought he had power, Nisner, but um, but uh, did not like him defensively at third, and didn't know that he'd hit enough. Or uh, I thought that he was big and heavy bodied, and I just did not think that he was a very good prospect. Uh, and now seeing him in fall league, he catches pretty well. I haven't seen him throw yet. Uh, but he catches well, he receives pretty well, and his ground game has been uh, solid. Uh, he's pretty agile back there. And I've also seen him absolutely destroy like a bunch of fastballs up uh, and get that bat head into the zone very quickly and just like rip bombs 400 feet to left center. And so like this is – I have to – if I was, saw a catcher who I didn't had never seen before and had no previous opinion doing the stuff that he's doing in Fall League, that's someone who I'm like, is this a top 100 guy? Mm-hmm. You know, based on early looks, it's like this is a guy who might hit for power and be a viable defensive catcher. So is this – like is that a top 100 guy? Uh, but because it's Nisner who I – I mean you could probably look. I've written about Nisner a couple times like over the years. Like, I've just not been on him at all. Uh, and so, like, my previous looks at him no doubt have an impact on the way I view him now because, you know, I, it, it's hard for me to change opinions when I'm confident in my initial opinions. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Nisner right now. And then Ray, Ray is just so visibly frustrated with himself. He had a bad year. And he was not necessarily the most polished college bat coming out of Louisville by any stretch, uh, neither defensively nor offensively. Like, there were some holes, but uh, he's a very athletic, uh, explosive young man with, like, high-end makeup. And those are the guys who you bet on to make the necessary adjustments because they have the physical ability to do so uh, and the, the mental and personal wherewithal to do so as well. And he just had like, I thought he was the best prospect that I saw throughout all of extended spring training here in Arizona. This year. This mm-hmm. year. And yet he had a bad season. And he's struggling in my initial fall league looks. Uh, he is almost overly patient, bordering on passive. He has no stride at the plate. He's just very stationary, which seems... Uh, counterproductive for someone with his amount of physical ability. And yet when he does make contact, it, it does uh, create a sound unlike anything anyone else is, is creating at the folly. Like there's just so much bat speed and physical ability there, but his, his bat is just late into the zone. And like, it's just, you're watching someone with, superlative physical skills who's just not 
producing right now, and he's becoming visibly frustrated. And, like, it just sucks to be Corey Ray right now. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still see the physical ability is in there, and it's very special. Uh, and I'm still betting on the kid to figure it out at some point. And so he that's a college bat who had a bad year at the low levels, and I'm just not – I just can't quit it yet. I just can't <laughs> quit him. So these are like the, the decisions now as, you know, it's, it's prospectless time, uh, that I'm struggling with. That there were thoughts and decisions that were not part of this process last year because it was all really, you know, an initial evaluation. Like here you, here you go public. This is what I think of all these guys. And now it's time to think about it again. And I just have a different professional context for it now. Yeah. And it's been, uh, it's, it's been interesting pretty early on. Well, you do not want to be a... And it'll be interesting for you, too, because the first pass at the Cardinals list has 90 names. <laughs> no. Like, are they, the, are they the names of young players who are employed by the St. Louis yeah. Cardinals? Or is it just is it just a bunch of names that you thought of in your head? <laughs> I mean, some of them sound like it. Some of them sound like if I was like creating a player on uh, MLB The Show, mm-hmm. like that it would yeah it would probably look like nine is too many nine is too many names. I know so it'll be names. cut it'll be cut down. Like these are just guys who I flagged because they played well or because uh, they got a lot of money. Like this is just all the names before it starts getting before it yeah. hits the uh, the cutting room floor. How do you plan to uh, navigate? Wait, is sorry. Uh, this is an idiot's question. Is Reyes still a, still a prospect eligible? Rookie? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Okay, Anthony Anthony Reyes, Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes, not Anthony Reyes. Formerly, he was also a Cardinals prospect, but like ten years ago. Um, uh, he's pitching in fall league, dude. Who, Anthony Reyes? Yeah. He was like ninety one to ninety three with uh Isn't he? No, that's a different Anthony. It's a different guy. Yeah. You're thinking. We're thinking of different guys. I'm, I'm thinking of Arturo. Arturo Reyes is pitching in You're thinking of Arturo. Anthony Reyes uh, debuted with the Cardinals in 2005. Yeah. And I believe was a was regarded uh, somewhat positively. I can't remember what, what his part Probably. Was. He was a big leaguer for like half a decade, right? Yeah, he did some stuff. Yeah. He did some stuff. Did he ever make a... Um, all time top one hundred. All time, all time top one hundred prospects. I don't. I wouldn't imagine so. You don't think so? No. Anthony Reyes. Anthony Reyes, in two thousand six, was the forty first overall prospect. And the year before that, two thousand five, he was the forty seventh overall prospect. Ahead of you, ready? Wow. Uh, well, just behind is Mero Petit. Um, two behind Josh Barfield. Nice. Three behind Brian McCann. Barfield scouts now. Does he? Yeah. Uh, one ahead of Homer Bailey. Who? Cool. Had, had a major league. Had, has had a major league career. Um, Here's another thing. So Homer Bailey is interesting, right? Because would you say that he was a "Quote unquote bust" or like an overrated prospect. I don't know. He's had an interesting career. I mean, the best the best version of Homer Bailey has been quite good, right? Like his age. Looking over right now, his age. Twenty seven season his in twenty thirteen. Mm. That was if you're an organization and you select a pitcher in the first round, and then he go he threw two hundred innings. He was worth, you know, roughly four wins, regardless of how you measure it, whether it's the FIP-based war or the runs-allowed-based war. He was worth four wins. So then, I don't know. That's good, right? You say that's great. I mean, four wins for a pitcher? Yeah. That's a strong season. But Yeah, he was – Homer Bailey was one of the uh, two starters at one of the – I think probably the fastest big league game I've ever I've ever been to. It was, uh, I want to say it was 2008, Reds, Phillies, Hamels, Homer Bailey. Mm-hmm. 
King Griffey Jr. was at 599 career home runs, and I think Shane Victorino robbed two of two home runs that game. Like I was, <laughs> Shane Victorino prevented all, all of us from seeing Griffey's 600th home run, <laughs> and Homer Bailey and Cole Hamels each threw like complete game gems, and the game was over in like an hour 58 minutes or something like that. <laughs> we can uh, maybe find Shane Victorino. Shane Victorino. Shane Victorino. Oh, Cincinnati Reds at Philadelphia Phillies. Box score. June 5th, 2008. There you go. But I don't think this is it. I think that we're close, but not it. Oh, no, it is. No, this is it. Homer Bailey versus Cole Hamels. Bailey actually allowed five runs in six innings. No, did he? Time of game, two hours, six minutes. Okay. Yeah, we found it. We found it. But it's like actually the Phillies scored a bunch of runs. I'm sorry, my cat's being an. <laughs> I mean, he loves me, but. <laughs> yeah, we found it. But yeah, like Griffey hit two two balls right up against the wall in that game, <laughs> and I'll never forgive Shane Victorino for not just saying like, "Yeah, you know what? <laughs> sure." <laughs> going to bear a grudge that was a uh that was an interesting reds team some uh something new something old <laughs> it's because uh, griffey was right in the middle of the lineup mm-hmm. was adam dunn still around at that time in 08 or was he had he moved he, on at that well he point? was not in this game i can tell you i can confirm that uh but this team also okay. featured joey Votto. so that, which means joey, joey Votto has been around a little bit longer than oh, i wow. remember or than i would think uh, and it also has and 25-year-old Edwin Encarnacion playing third base. Yeah, playing third base. Yeah, geez, look at this lineup. Votto, Brandon Phillips, who's already 27 at this point, still around. Encarnacion, Adam Dunn was on those teams, but not in the lineup that day. Corey Patterson started more games in center field than anybody else did for the Reds that year. Jay Bruce was 21 and played yeah, 108 Jay Bruce, games. Yeah, uh, Jay batted second in this particular game. The late Ryan Friel. Oh. Ryan Hannigan, who was also 27 at the time, still around. 38-year-old Scott Hatterberg. Not still around. <laughs> Not still, still alive. Around. Johnny Cueto, Edison Volquez, Homer Bailey, all under 24. Yeah, man. Very interesting Reds teams. Yeah. Danny Ray Herrera. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was a left-hander with a – did he have a screwball? Yeah, the little lefty with the screwball. Yeah. Actually, one of the players from that – from this game, the game in question uh, is on a World Series roster. It's uh, Chase Utley. And he's he's the reason I'll be rooting for Los Angeles. Let me ask you one thing before uh, I have to go back to fathering. Um, okay. <clears throat> let's see. We, we, I we'll, have to get to we'll, a game. Allow me to review what we discussed. Uh, players for whom uh, it's difficult, about whom it's difficult for you to be objective. We discussed that. Why you and Monte Harrison in particular, but also some players like Travis Demerit, Shedlong, and Isan Diaz of Atlanta, Cincinnati, and Milwaukee, respectively, and then some other players with whom I'm less familiar. You said Miguel Aparicio in, in the Texas system. Is that right? Yeah. Christian Apache in the what in Atlanta system. system. And Carlos Rodriguez in the Brewers system. Also the Brewers. System. Milwaukee again. Right. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. we also discussed re, um, updating player files, which, of course, is to some degree is your job, but the uh, the task ahead of you, so far as that is concerned, uh, in one area of interest, I suppose one, one area of interest would be to see where you ranked Andrew Nisner, formerly played third base for NC State, is now a catcher in the St. Louis system, and has been by your... Uh, in your opinion, one of the better players you've already seen in the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Taylor, I was thought uh, briefly there might be some merit. I cannot guarantee it. might be some merit in just briefly reviewing how certain players in the World Series were regarded as prospects. Does that interest you at all? Does that hold any? Yes, it very does. much so. Yes. Oh. I have the – I have in front of me the Astros uh, roster – um, mm-hmm. I suppose. Let's see. I don't. I like. I don't think there's any. It seems less interesting to me to just ask you how 
you know, Jose Altuve. He's the best player on that. But maybe players who have changed, who's, um, you know, for whom the assessments have changed a little bit uh, yeah. since they were, since they've come up. Um, well, I don't know if his assessment has changed much, but I spoke with him quite a bit with Cameron the other day, and so it probably makes sense to bring him up here. And that's Lance McCullers. I don't know if you know this. Lance McCullers led all starters this year in um, curveball rate. He threw it nearly 50% of the time. I mean, if you would have asked yeah. me who did, that's, uh, that's who, who I would have guessed. Right. So I didn't know it, but yeah. Now, uh, Ky- Ky- I actually remember during a – Kyla McDaniel at one of the uh, winter meetings, This is before I think maybe even before he started working at Fangraphs, Kylie showed me some high, some video of Lance McCullers from high school. Kylie was teaching me about head whack. Apparently, Lance mm-hmm. McCullers possessed it in great volume, and uh, I don't. I guess he doesn't as much. But he's cleaned up his mechanics quite a bit as a as a professional. Um, what? How? What was Lance McCullers? What was the assessment of him as a you know as an amateur slash draftee, etc. I think it's it's things have bore out as sort of as he was assessed. Yeah, there was a lot of relief risk, uh, but he had among the the best stuff uh, for uh, like among pitchers in that draft class. But like as a younger prospect, you know, there were some concerns about his build and the fastball command. I think he is he is diminutive relative to other starting pitchers. And also, I don't think the physical like makeup, the composition, like he was not a great body, mm-hmm. um, but like electric arm speed, big time velocity. The breaking ball was uh, comfort had comfortably plus projection. There was just a lot of violence. Um, maybe the arm action wasn't necessarily that violent. Uh, but, but yeah, like there was just an awful lot of relief risk there. Um, I guess it would be similar to like what Hans Kraus was like this, this past Hans draft. Kraus. Please t- tell me um, a little bit about Hans. Hans Kraus, who the, the Rangers drafted out of, uh, Dana Hills High School in Southern California. Um, big right-handed pitcher, kind of a unique young man, uh, with, who's very competitive on the mound, uh, the way McCullers is 95 to 97 with a plus curve. Like, it's a plus curveball right now. Um, I've seen the spin rates up. I have it written down somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's like I've seen 2,700, 2,800 RPMs in the curveball. But he's just, like, not a great athlete. Um, and uh, the delivery is unique. Uh, and not typically something you see out of a starter, and so like there's a lot of relief risk there. Hey, like, do you think that relief? I've... Sorry, go ahead. I got excited for a second because do you, I? And I'm, this is probably something with which you'll have to reckon, and perhaps continue to reckon more deeply in in years to come. Relief risk. That I think that might have like future or possible relief might have less stink on it. In the future, right? Because on the one hand, Lance McCullers had relief risk. On the other hand, he just pitched four innings of crazy dominant relief in an elimination game in a championship series, which has, I mean, that has a billion dollars, not a billion dollars, but clinching the World Series for your team, helping to clinch the World Series for your team is worth millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, so maybe relief risk... So th- there's grades of relief risk. One out, you know, lefty one out guy, and then, you know, uh, decent sinker slider right hander, and then right. what Lance McCullers did, which is not seven innings, but which was four innings of uh, electricity. So I will acknowledge that as the pitching landscape continues to change, that so too will the way we talk about players like this. Um, but I'd like you to acknowledge that using Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller and a game of Lance McCullers 
at, and holding them up as examples as to why are a li- maybe a little bit too situationally specific slash uh, talent specific. Because, like, not everyone, not every prospect with relief risk is going to have the opportunity to be this valuable in this sort of situation. Just as not all of them are as uh, freakish as, like, a role as Chapman and Andrew Miller. I think you make a good point, Eric. But I think the idea is, like, you're, like when you talk about guys who have, you know, who like Miller and Chapman are, can, can overwhelm opponents – but it had mm. previously only been allowed to overwhelm opponents for three outs at the end of a game. Sure. Like it, it, I think it, it, um, increases their ceilings a little bit. I think the guys to point to are like Chris Devensky and Raycel Iglesias, uh, maybe Michael Givens. Now, I guess he was a weird sort of prospect. I'm trying to think of other guys who were like, not quite starters. Uh, Dellen Batances. Brad, Brad Peacock? Sure, yeah. Peacock finally I mean, Brad sort Peacock of came is, around. Yeah. Yeah, I think Brad that's, Peacock uh, made it back into a starting role by by being, by being pitching crazy dominant in relief. Mm-hmm. Like, he sort of... I mean, you, you, this happens to some guys. Like, they learn something when they're pitching in relief. They learn how to maybe sit closer to their max velocity, or they learn how... They learn something. And then they because I they're, you know they're given more repetitions around the mound more often so maybe that helps them. There's I'm sure there are a number of variables. But you mentioned Chris Davinsky. Do you mm-hmm. would he have even registered on a prospect radar when as you know when you when for the time that's been interesting to you? <clears throat> like quiz by what team was he drafted and out of what school and in he what round? A- he was a Cal State Fullerton guy. All right, you did it. All right, well done. Uh, and he was, I think he was a Gar High School guy. How are you doing um, this? How are you doing that trick? Well, it's I've just you know learned, living out here and doing amateur stuff in, in Southern California. I've learned stuff. Because um, Gar High School had a, I saw their their team last year a bunch of times because they had Javon Ward, who the Brewers ended up drafting, who was like a an interesting draft prospect. Um, and they had a, they have a couple of fun middle infielders there as well that are maybe not quite as physically prototypical for big league uh, as as big league prospects, but they're I think one of them at least is going to UCLA. But um, yeah, I like just just sort of you know you check and see who else has come out of these schools, and I kind of remember Davinsky being a guard, but I don't I couldn't tell you who drafted him or when he was drafted, like round wise. Do you want to do you want to take a guess? No. <laughs> I mean, he was probably like I assume he was a late round pick. I'll say like the fourteenth round, twenty fifth round. You really okay. blew yeah, it. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you Who drafted really him? Blew. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. He was he was drafted twenty fifth round by the Chicago White Sox, out of yeah. as you mentioned, uh, Cal State Fullerton. And uh, this is, I mean, this is only his second year in the majors this year. Mm-hmm. Um. He's thrown nearly 200 innings, and he's been quite good. Yep. His point. He's been worth nearly six wins. Uh, yeah, he's a guy who, like, if you would have asked me about him instead of McCullers, I would have just been, like, uh, like not totally sure about his, his background as a prospect, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I'm at, yeah. I mean, I did sort of ask you about it, but uh, I guess what? he's a, I mean, he's, he's a change-up guy. Maybe that is well, one reason yeah. why – Change up guys, they, uh, as you noted with regard to Monte Harrison, right? The the physical tools are loud, mm-hmm. and that's notable. But the the, the change up always, it, it, what it requires some incubation, maybe. Right, and I think that we forget that that applies to all prospects, not just the guys who throw hard and have breaking balls already. Right. Like, I think I've, I might have brought this up with you on the last, with on the last podcast we did, which that was just, that just got, was lost in the, in cyberspace, right? What? The last time, the last podcast we did. What do you mean it was lost in cyberspace? Was it posted? Yeah. Oh, I, sorry, I missed it then. Um, but Wait, why, like, why, I how, I why would I not? 
Did something happen? Well, did, weren't there issues? Didn't we have technical difficulties? Oh, we did. Yes, we did. We did, but I... Uh, so I wasn't sure if it ever went up or not. The evolving criteria of the pitching prospect. That was... Uh, but yeah, like... Hmm. Um, did, did I talk about Kyle Hendricks on that podcast? And about how, like, we forget that not... It, the idea that change-ups develop with reps and that command can develop with reps applies to everybody. Not just the guys who throw hard and have breaking balls already. It, you can just apply that uh, to the guys who do throw hard and have breaking balls already and envision them becoming front-end starters. But then there are the guys who, like Kyle Hendricks, the command just keeps coming and coming and coming until it's really excellent. And the same thing goes for the changeup. And now you have the guy that, uh, you know, the pitcher that prospect writers or scouts, etc., underrate because they didn't have that initial foundation, but the other stuff just kept developing as they entered like the upper levels of the minors and the, and the major leagues. Uh, and so like, that's how guys like that fly under the radar. And then the same thing kind of applies to like Joey Votto, who if go look at Joey Votto's like career stats uh, and just see how he has just continued his, his approach has just never stopped developing. And now he is like the, maybe the most incredible unique hitter that is in the major league in the major leagues yeah. right now. You know, so like that stuff applies to everybody, not just the guys who have incredible physical tools. Some guys are, you know, boring athletes, but they just, those aspects of development apply to them as well. Let me ask you about one other guy. We already mentioned him. Another, another player, uh, interesting prospect trajectory, interesting trajectory as a ball player, I should say, uh, and that's Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor yeah. of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, I mean, he was an infield prospect for who was just hurt a lot, right? <clears throat> well, he – he, if I remember correctly, like Kylie was uh, – Kylie was on Taylor when he was with the Mar- in the Mariner system. Possibly? I think he was. <laughs> I mean, he probably didn't have him beneath Dustin Ackley or anything like that, so it's not like, you know, <laughs> he was he had a number one in the system or anything like that. Uh, shall we shall we return to Kyle McDaniel's assessment from whatever, 2015? I think you were on him too, weren't you? I yeah, I might have uttered his name at some point. It might be hard to find too because like um or he might have been traded and slipped through the, the the cracks of the list, you know. Like if you, if you do the Dodgers list and Chris Taylor is not part of the system yet, and then he's traded from Seattle to LA before you do the Mariners list, like he might not have shown up on a list. Yeah, that's why you got to do your, like you know Donruss sure, yeah. used to do. They used to do their uh, their season update. Mid, they're like their mid season update. I don't know. Well, people can look it up, but like I'm pretty sure that uh... I'm pretty sure that there's a. There is, uh, there is in that same one. There's okay. Carson Stooley suggesting that um, there's very little to separate Tyler Smith from Brad Miller or Chris Taylor at the, his respective st- this respective stage in his career. Tyler Smith did not. Oh, he actually he actually appeared in the majors this year. He's a 26 year old rookie. But he hasn't really taken off the same way. Yeah, I mean Taylor's emergence this year is one of those things that I was just like blindsided by but that's because he made adjustments to major league level i mean there's nothing really you can so but yeah anyway preparation um, for that he was taylor was like he was a college guy uh, university of virginia uh like a mid-round pick not he wasn't like a first or second rounder or anything like that i want to say he was like a fourth or fifth rounder or something uh i think there were I want to say like he had like a uh, his father played football or something maybe in college. There were athletic genes, and I he was like a as an amateur I think he was like like a glove first shortstop prospect. He was yes he was regarded I think as a from what I remember he was regarded as an athlete as yeah shortstop, with a good approach with good range but but maybe he he might have actually 
he possessed the athleticism, but maybe he lost focus occasionally. He had a little problem with the gloves sometimes. Oh, really? Okay. Throws I, going around. Then maybe I'm misremembering something. Yeah. I, I tend to remember him as someone who was like a good defensive middle infielder who maybe didn't have the arm for short or like the left side of the infield. And maybe he wasn't going to hit enough for hit for enough power to play anywhere other than shortstop. Yeah. It all changed, though. It all came crashing down, didn't it? Yeah. This is all verifiable. But he was not a player I scouted in person before I like started working full-time. So, yeah. That's a weird one, too. Who else is weird before we get going? Because I got to – it's 12-15 and I got to get going to a fall league game. Oh, you're going to go to a fall league game. Yeah. Well, that's great. It's it's a, it's a day that ends in Y. Ah. They all do. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, everybody. All right. Hey. Well, let's get off. I all hear right, my son good. crying. Anyway, uh, what right. I will say to you, what I will say to you, Eric Longanagan, is uh, A, that you have fulfilled your obligation to Fangraph's audio, uh, and B, what I would like to do is to thank you for appearing on Fangraph Study. You're welcome. Good. All right. I'll be on again. Allow me to say now uh, that that has been by prospect analyst Eric Longenegan. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraph Study. Mm-hmm.